Parenthood is a time of so much change for you and your baby. A little reliable information can go a long way towards making this new life a good life. I'm Jessica Rolfe, and this is My New Life, a Love Every Podcast. While the science aligns on what's healthy for a baby's brain development, when it comes to how to care for our babies, there's a seemingly endless supply of competing perspectives. Parents are swimming in advice on sleep, feeding, and parenting philosophies. In this season of the podcast, we aim to provide a variety of curated perspectives so you can make informed choices for your family. Any pregnant mom will tell you, their body goes through a major transformation. And with each passing month, nutritional needs change. It's no surprise that the pregnant person's health can impact the baby in utero. But did you know that it can have a more lasting effect on the baby's well-being? A study published by the Office of Disease Prevention and Health Promotion reported that, quote, the cognitive and physical development of infants and children may be influenced by the health, nutrition, and behaviors of their mothers during pregnancy and early childhood. Which is why we've got a registered dietitian on the show today. Ryan Kipping and her team offer a prenatal nutrition library as well as an app at the Prenatal Nutritionist. I asked her to talk to me about the role of protein in a pregnant person's diet. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I love this conversation. I love talking about protein. I feel like I'm always putting an emphasis, hey, you need more protein, you need more protein. Um, and this is usually, you know, when I am doing previously, I don't do any more one on one client work at this time of recording. Um, but that is what I did for the large majority of time. Um, when I started this business was one to one client work. And what I would see consistently was people under consuming protein, even before, you know, pregnancy, even like preconceptionally, when clients would start working with me to prepare for pregnancy, I would see them not consuming enough protein. As you progress throughout pregnancy, your body needs more protein. And when it comes to first trimester and still trying to fit in protein, we can take foods, right? Like carbohydrate rich foods that usually sound good, are usually more tolerable. Eat those first. Once you feel a little bit better, then try to work in those high protein sources. But protein is, you know, quite literally like the building blocks of your baby. So I cannot um, emphasize enough how important protein is. There's research, you know, stating that protein is the most important macronutrient during pregnancy, which is super interesting research. And hopefully, you know, there'll be more research that kind of lends us to or leads us to believe that that is ultimately true. When I got pregnant with my first, I didn't think I needed to do anything different than just eating more fruits and vegetables and having that extra 300 calories a day. So this focus on protein that you're talking about really shifted my mindset. I discovered a pregnancy nutrition plan. It's not a diet. It's a nutrition plan called the Brewer Diet through my birthing instructor. There was a study done at Harvard University that found that eating this high protein, it was like 70, over 75 grams of protein a day, can actually help prevent diseases like preeclampsia. So I had this nutritional guide, and it talked about eating to hunger. And so our birthing instructor had our class keep a food log and check boxes every day on what we were eating. 
So it said 80 to 100 grams of protein a day, which is, you know, when you start counting grams of protein, that's a lot. Two servings of leafy greens every day, two to three eggs every day for choline, liver once a week. I would choke that down every month or so, a vitamin C serving. And you can, you know, check that box with either an orange or grapefruit or serving of strawberries, a yellow or orange vegetable every day, two servings of calcium, whole grains, fats and oil, and water to thirst. So it sounds like a lot. And it was really elaborate, but, and honestly, it was a lot of food, but that it made me realize that growing a human is a big deal. And I had to be really intentional about it, or at least I wanted to be intentional about it. So I wasn't able to implement this, you know, this diet in the first trimester, but after I got rolling, I started feeling better and I really felt empowered. So I I gained 70 pounds and for each of my pregnancies, I had these really big babies, but felt good and healthy and like I was responding to what my body wanted. So how do you think about the building blocks of nutrition for pregnancy and how do you think about the overarching philosophy? What should we shift in our thinking when we go from, you know, before pregnancy to after pregnancy? Yeah, absolutely. I get this question all the time. What is the difference between a healthy diet before pregnancy and a healthy diet during pregnancy? And to me, there is just more intentionality behind it. Basically, exactly what you were just explaining. Usually we go about life and we know that, you know, nutrition is, you know, important. I think most of us know that like the food we eat provides us energy and helps us from getting sick and supplies us antioxidants and all of these micronutrients that have other functions and all these things, but we don't think of them in the way that when we get pregnant, we're like, oh my gosh, this nutrient is being used directly to form baby's brain. This nutrient is even like more specifically like forming the memory portion of the brain when we're thinking about choline, for example. And, you know, I don't think everyone needs to like nerd out about the science like you and I are. I don't think everyone needs to know those like crazy details. Um, But putting that intentionality behind it, I do think is important. Just overall being aware of what nutrients are coming from which foods, right? Like we're talking about eggs again with choline. I, if you have visited my Instagram page at all, you will know that I love eggs and I love to talk about choline. So why not talk about them here? Uh, yeah. So thinking about eggs as a source of choline, really focusing there, knowing where, what foods have vitamin C in them, knowing, you know, okay, if I need to make sure I'm eating enough folate every day, what foods can I include, you know, that you enjoy because, we don't want to take that part out of eating at all. And this is something else that I always try to emphasize. Like you still want to be able to enjoy your food and eating. Hopefully if you, you know, don't have all of these crazy pregnancy symptoms that you still like enjoy the food you're eating. It's still flavorful and you know, you're not taking, taking all of that away um, from eating while pregnant. So yeah, thinking about what nutrients come from, which foods, which foods you want to put emphasis on um, and in a way that, you know, gives you energy, but still supplies those nutrients to baby. And then overall, like a bigger picture, just making sure you're getting enough um, of each macronutrient distribution on your plate each time you sit down for dinner, any type of meal or snack. So much brain growth happens in the first three years of life. But 
how much of who we become is predetermined by our genetics and how much is based on our early experiences. According to neuroscientists, it boils down to about 50-50, 50% genetics and 50% environment. But what exactly is this environment? What makes for an environment that is enriching for little brains? At Love Every, we have brought together experts from all fields of early childhood development to answer this question. Neuroscientists, Montessori experts, occupational therapists, and speech therapists. For every stage from birth to age four, we have just the right activities, tools, and information so you can feel confident you are giving your child the very best start. Learn more at loveevery.com, L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y.com. Yeah. And I think on the on the choline topic, that is its own sort of like, you know, passion point. I think for both you and me, I think we really share that. I did on another episode right before this speak to the authors of the of the study at Cornell who studied because of the oh, human amazing. Long, long-term impacts of choline. So that's so a cool. seven-year study. It it really has great benefits for attention. And they talked about what kind of supplementation that they'd used in the study. So you can um, people can refer to that episode if they want to go deep on on that. Let's talk about um, other foods that are important for the baby's brain development, which happens in that third trimester. Their brain, I think, oftentimes we're getting really full in that third trimester. I remember the the guidance that I had was to really try and fit in as many small meals as I can um, during that last stage of pregnancy. And I think you're kind of like trying to trail off because your stomach is so you know gets so full so fast. But that is when the that is when the baby's brain is growing so much. And when they're putting on those extra pounds that are so great for their long-term health. Um, and so tell me more about kind of how you think about that very last stage of pregnancy and, and what we can do for baby's brain development besides choline. Yes. Besides choline, definitely omega-3s. Um, when we're thinking about omega-3s, specifically DHA, which is largely found in fatty fish. Um, some other foods as well, but that's going to be your main source or supplementation. You can always, you know, supplement with a fish oil or omega-3, um, pill as well, but I love a food first approach. I am all about a food first approach. So we want to get these nutrients, all these nutrients we've been mentioning from food as much as we can before relying on supplementation. So yeah, during the third trimester, like you said, is a time when the baby's brain is rapidly growing and accumulating these omega-3s, which is why I always like to um, put emphasis on fish intake during the third trimester when hopefully um, fish sounds okay to eat. Usually when I talk about eating fish in like the first trimester, people are like, shunning me because they're like, that sounds absolutely disgusting, which I'm like, it's fine. As long as you know, you get to feeling better and you can start incorporating um, fish again, hopefully in the later stages of pregnancy. So yeah, definitely putting an emphasis on those omega threes. Yeah, I found it like an easy quick source if you can stomach it. <laughs> it's, um, Wild Planet is the best brand, but if sardines, like canned sardines, I would just bring them on a trip or you can, you know, you can like yep, bring so them with easy. you. They're really yeah. easy to crack open. They put them on crackers. They're, they're really not bad and they're a great source. One thing I wanted to get into is you shared this a little bit on Instagram, which I so appreciated. I feel like there's this notion that we need to control weight gain during pregnancy. 
there's this guidance of 25 to 35 pounds. I really struggled with that because my body wanted to gain 70 pounds. And that was what felt healthy for me. I think I was probably extreme. I'm a, I'm a big person. I'm tall. I made big babies. Sure. That's sort of like what my body wanted to do. But I also think that there's this notion that if you're coming in lean into pregnancy, 35 pounds just might not be right. It might not be enough. And it, the risks, I don't think, uh, you know, OBGYNs are talking enough about the risks of not enough weight gain during pregnancy. Right. I'd love to hear your philosophy there. I think that it's, I worry that it's a function of society's pressure on controlling a person's body size. And, you know, I think, how how do we also deal with you know our changing bodies and how we think we're going to look when we're pregnant and actually you know just seeing our body change and trusting that process I, i'd love to hear more about this yeah i think i mean it is a natural anxiety that so many pregnant people have about weight gain during pregnancy um and it is really a big mental health you know there's a big mental health component around it and kind of switching your mindset from you know, your body is changing and growing to support this amazing life that you're creating. So it's easier said than done. Absolutely. But overall, I, you know, weight is not a focus of my practice as a dietitian whatsoever, worrying less about the number on the scale and the weight that your body wants to gain and should gain will come naturally. And again, I know easier said than done. Um, but I really do think that these weight gain guidelines that, you know, the Institute of Medicine puts out are really, um, you know, they're controversial, but they're also just hard for us because we feel like if we don't fit into those guidelines and we don't fit into that bubble, then somehow we failed or somehow we're, you know, wrong or we're doing it wrong or we're unhealthy if we go, you know, one pound outside of those guidelines, which is just not the case at all. Um, and I always say, and I think, you know, what you're referring to on Instagram is just the, you know, the number on the scale does not correlate to the outcome of your pregnancy by any means. There's so many other indicators um, that your pregnancy is moving along long in a healthy manner and that baby is totally fine. So as long as you're focusing on um, baby's growth and making sure you are getting in as many nutrients um, as you possibly can, then the number on the scale really isn't of that much importance. You can even tell your doctor, and this is, you know, what I have talked about and worked on with a lot of clients is if you don't prefer to see, you know, your weight gain, then you can absolutely tell your provider that you'd prefer not to know unless it is obviously a risk to you and the baby, then you can just tell them you you would just like not to know those numbers. I think that's so helpful. And I also think that, you know, it's not linear. I remember going to these appointments and, and you know, sometimes it's flat. Sometimes it's like, you know, another plus, plus 10 or 12 pounds. And it was uh, something that is really we really do have to kind of push down those societal notions. We get so many messages. Okay, I have some questions from Instagram from our community. Folic acid versus folate for preconception. There's lots of conflicting info. I don't even know about this. Tell me the the quick and dirty. What's going on here? What do you recommend? Yes. So it is definitely a controversial topic. Somehow, I don't know how it erupted into this debate that it has become. Um, but let me just give a basic differentiation here. So folate is the naturally occurring form. So folate is found in leafy greens, avocados, nuts and seeds, liver, eggs, all of these 
foods that it's naturally found in. Folic acid is the synthetic form of folate. So it is often found in supplements because it is also cheap to put in supplements. It's found in things like cereal, um, anything with flour, honestly. They have back in the, I think it was the 80s, um, they started requiring basically flour be fortified with folic acid in order to reduce the incidence of neural tube defects. So they started putting folic acid in foods that were commonly consumed by Americans, right? So it did work. It definitely decreased the amount of neural tube defects. But when we're thinking about it, is it wise to promote eating more refined carbohydrates, essentially? Or is it wise to promote eating more natural forms of folate? I think everyone would agree it's probably wise to recommend eating more foods that are naturally good sources of folate versus folic acid. So then that's a conversation on its own, right? And then we have to think about supplementation. I recommend a supplement with folate, the naturally occurring form. And if you can, the most active form of folate, the kind that our body actually utilizes is L-methylfolate, which is the active form, the most active form of folate. And this is also a more expensive form of folate. So usually supplements that have this um, type of folate are a bit more expensive. That being said, either choice you make is going to typically going to be okay. Of course, everything with nutrition is individualized. So when it comes to supplementation, I always say get individualized guidance based off of you and your needs. Oh, that is so helpful. I didn't know this. I wish I had known, but super helpful information. You mentioned supplementation. We get a ton of questions about prenatal vitamins. I bet it's tricky for you. You don't want to align with the <laughs> brand, but no, it seems like no one vitamin has it all. Uh, so, you know, and I know that you really recommend this like really rich diet, which I love, you know, of lots of, of lots of variety of foods, high protein, leafy greens, yellow and orange vegetables, vitamin C, all the good stuff. Uh, Tell me more about supplementation. Can you say anything about it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, this is my most frequently asked questions is what prenatal vitamins should I take? And like I just said, it is individualized. It is going to depend on so many factors related to your health and to your lifestyle. So I can't, it, you know, it just wouldn't be even ethical for me to come on here and recommend one prenatal vitamin to the masses since we are all such unique individuals. That being said, I always recommend making sure you're taking a supplement that is third-party tested. This is really just for st supplement standards. Supplements, as most people know, aren't um, well-regulated. So this means that this company that has third-party testing has paid a third party to test their supplement to make sure it's clean. You know, it's got, it doesn't have anything in there that they say isn't in there. And also just truth in labeling. If they say there's this amount of vitamin B12, making sure they're, they're absolutely telling the truth that there is that amount in there. So third-party testing is key. Um, making sure that hopefully there's some choline in there. This is becoming more common. Thank goodness supplements are 
um, understanding the research more so and putting choline in their supplements. I do recommend picking one with folate over folic acid. Uh, but again, talk to your provider and your dietitian for what's best for you. Iron and calcium, those compete for absorption. So I see a lot of supplements on the market that have high levels of both, which doesn't really make any sense. Not everyone needs to supplement with iron. So it's best to get your levels tested and see whether or not you need to supplement with iron. So those are just a few, a few things I'll point out. Maybe I can say because I'm not associated with any brands and this is not my my total thing, but I, you know, I took, I did tend to run a little bit anemic. So I took Floridix liquid iron. It was non-constipating. I took that separate from my prenatal and had my iron right. levels measured throughout my pregnancy to make sure I wasn't getting too much, but also was getting enough and would definitely dip and take some Floridix. I took a separate choline supplement. I tried to develop one at Happy Family. Um, it's very sticky. So it's really hard as a, as a material to put into a mixed uh, vitamin at sufficient amounts. And so I think that, you know, pulling that out and having that separate is, is pretty cheap on Amazon. You told choline by tartrate, you know, we had a whole episode on this, what kinds were used if you need liquid citrate works too. Um, it's a pretty straightforward supplement, but I found that it's from a manufacturing perspective, it's actually really hard to put into a vitamin. Um, and then I would end up taking extra calcium and try and separate it out. At the end of the day, I would take the calcium. At the beginning of the day, I would take my iron. So, you know, the, if you want to nerd out, there is a way to nerd out on this whole, on all this stuff. But I did find that it was hard to find that one prenatal that had it all. Um, I think there's some new companies that provide packets or different ways to sort of like take multiples. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But you know, and I think again, it's nutrition is is primary. So you know, following a lot of your recommendations is is really mostly what we need to do. So grateful to have the chance to talk to you today. It's been wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Here are my takeaways from the conversation with Ryan. Takeaway number one: protein provides the building blocks of your baby. It is an essential macronutrient when it comes to achieving a healthy pregnancy. Takeaway number two. The third trimester is a time when the baby's brain is rapidly growing and accumulating these omega-3s. Small meals are a great way to get the nutrients your baby's brain requires to grow. Especially important are choline and omega-3s, specifically DHA. So eat lots of eggs and fish. Takeaway number three. The guidelines around weight gain that are recommended by the Institute of Medicine are controversial. The number on the scale does not correlate to the outcome of your pregnancy. Focus on getting as many nutrients as you can. Takeaway number four. No one prenatal vitamin has it all, and each vitamin has unique benefits. Ryan recommends your vitamin be third-party tested and contain choline and folate. If you're interested in learning more about the Brewer's Diet, check out the link in the bio. Read more about your baby's development at loveevery.com. You've been listening to My New Life. If you think this episode might be helpful to a fellow parent, please share. And if you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in today's show, head over to loveevery.com. That's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y.com. I'm Jessica Rolfe. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.